Let's talk about fellowship. What was God's design and delight in putting us together into families, both physical and spiritual? What did fellowship look like for the early church? What about that body of, of the faithful who preceded the church, the family of Israel? What did fellowship look like then? What is God's design for us as individuals coming together, being raised in, being brought into larger fellowships with one another? And what might fellowship look like in the church today? Scripture speaks a whole lot about communion. You know, even in the beginning, in the beginning, literally Genesis 1, it says, um, it says, in the beginning God created. That word is plural. Even in the beginning, even God was never alone. There was always three in one. This theme we see all throughout Scripture of individuals not being born and raised and produced in, in isolation, but immediately being put into families. We see this in nature. We see this in the church. We see this in Israel. As a matter of fact, I, I really enjoyed looking through um, the, the Pentateuch and, and the festivals and all of the gatherings and the commands on God's people. And in looking at Deuteronomy 16, we see right off the bat uh, an explanation of some of the festivals that they were called to celebrate. It says about the festival of weeks in Deuteronomy 16, it says in verse 11, And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place He will choose as a dwelling for His name, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and your female servants, the Levites in your town and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows living among you. Come together and rejoice before the Lord. He repeats all of those names, all those categories of people. He repeats as He speaks about the Festival of Tabernacles. In verse 13, he says, Celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you've gathered the produce of your threshing floors and your wine press. And verse 14 says, Be joyful at your festival. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants and the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your town. And it ends by saying, For the Lord, your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. And so what does he tell them to do as they come to the end of their harvest season? To gather together, to celebrate, to rejoice, to literally be joyful at your festival. These are gatherings of people coming together. This is what community looks like. This is what family looks like. And this is also what the early church looked like. Acts 2.42, we've been talking about for the last few sessions. It says what I would call the four pillars of the early church. It says the people gathered together for the teaching of the word, for fellowship, for breaking of bread and for prayer, as if those were the four things that they, they literally gathered to do. But as far as what that fellowship looks like, we get a million different visions of it. In Luke 2, we read the story about Jesus' family um, going up to Jerusalem for the Passover. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to read the verbiage there because, um, because I don't want us to miss the picture. And for any of us who have children, this visual is, is really pretty easy to understand if you've ever, you know, gone to a park, gone on vacation, gone to, I don't know, gone to the, a fair with another family. You can just envision 
Mary and Joseph and Jesus's brothers and, and what this gathering looked like. But in verse 41 of Luke 2, it says, Every year Jesus's parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, he went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Why? Because verse 44, thinking that he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. They were traveling the day with friends and relatives. And they expected that the boy was behind with the other 12-year-old boys. And the mom was talking to the other moms in the group. And the dads were talking shop. And they just enjoyed some, some fellowship together. They just traveled and they shared life with one another. We see this all through the early church. As we look through Acts, literally, you could just flip pages through Acts and read some of the accounts of what things look like. And right, left, and center, you see this reminder that these people, these believers, they were connected far beyond what city they lived in or who it was that first shared the gospel with them, how far away they were from the others or whether or not they'd ever seen their faces. Continually throughout Acts, we see, especially Paul would always, um, in some of his letters, he would say, thanks so much for sending provisions to this church or that church. They knew each other's needs because they were in communication with one another. Even reading 1 Peter, the introduction to 1 Peter, it says, um, Peter, apostle of Jesus Christ, to the believers who, who live in, and he lists off like five different areas. His assumption was that the believers in all of those different places communicated with one another. They talked to each other. They knew about each other's needs. They shared teaching and letters between them. At numerous points, Paul says things like, be sure that this letter is written among your congregation and you read the one that I wrote to them in the other town and let them read the one I'm writing to you. The assumption among all of these early church writers was that the church, the body of Christ, all believers across any border or barrier, they communicated with each other. They knew each other. They might not have known each other's faces and they might, may or may not have stayed in each other's homes, but there was a fellowship among them because they belonged to the same family. There was a connectedness among them simply because they shared the same core. They literally had the same dad. And this fellowship is just represented time and time and time again. As a matter of fact, if I look at Acts chapter 10, and it's the story of Peter going to Cornelius's house, but yet again, put yourself into the picture so that it's not just like you're reading words, but you actually see the men walking down the road and you, you envision their conversations. You think of how long it might have taken. I mean, think about when you get in the car for a long ride with your family and the things you talk about. Maybe you're quiet for a little while and then somebody remembers something that they've, they haven't thought to tell you yet and every time they did, you weren't right there. And so you just talk about it as you ride along. You have conversations about what's important to you and what's been going on, what you've been thinking and what you might do. You just share life with each other as you travel through it with each other. And so we picture Peter, and he's walking this 
this distance to Cornelius's house. And it says the next day, and this is um, Acts 10, the second half of verse 23, the next day Peter started out with them, this is Cornelius's men, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. So literally like, oh, hey, we'll go. They knew Peter was going. They knew where he was going. They knew, they knew that visitors were around and they wanted to come along. And so they, they all just walked this road together. Just picture what that looks like. I mean, it's so funny because I have a friend, we were going to a high school soccer game the other day. It was a good little ways away. And her husband says, oh, you rode by yourself? And she was like, well, of course I rode by myself. And, and it really occurred to me as I'm walking back to my car after the, after the game is over and I see all of these, these license plates that have my county tags on them, you know? We've got all of these cars in the parking lot because we all drove separately. And as logical as that is, and as I was one of the ones among them who, who rode over by myself, it just occurred to me that in Peter's life, in Paul's life, in Barnabas's life, they did things differently. It was natural and expected that they would just share their travels together, that they would journey through life together. And while, of course, getting in the car and driving to a game is, is very literal doing traveling together, maybe we need to change the context a little bit, but I don't think we need to change the core. We're meant to just share life together. And so um, Peter and these men, they travel to Cornelius's house. And the funny thing is, is there's this gathering that says, oh, Peter's going over there. I think I'll go with him. <laughs> and then in verse 27, what do they find when they get there? While talking to him, to Cornelius, Peter went inside and he found a large gathering of people. So not only did people gather around Peter as he was traveling, but when they got there, they found that pe people had already gathered around Cornelius. And it says, as a matter of fact, it says later, it says there's a whole slew of people, a great gathering of people that have met there. This is a huge group. Verse 27 tells us a large gathering of people. <laughs> they've come together in a man's house and they've, they've come to hear the word. They've come to share it with each other. We learn, of course, from that passage that Peter tells them what he knows. He, he shares the gospel with them and one by one by one by one, they, they all um, are overcome with the Holy Spirit. And then in the end of that chapter, the second half of verse 48, it says, and then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So they said, hey, we're, your group is now part of our group and we're all part of the same family. And, and look at that. Let's just, let's just fellowship with each other for a little while. Let's just do some life together here. We see this over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, the very next chapter, Acts 11 and verse 19, and I just love this picture. It's like a snowball that just keeps picking up people. It says in verse 11, now those who were scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, they traveled as far as all those places, spreading the word only among the Jews. But some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord. And that fellowship grew and grew and grew. And so they're just talking to people. They're just snowballing people into their fellowship. And it says a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Verse 25 says, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, they met with the church and they taught great numbers of people. 
They did life together. All of these examples, all of these men, they, they did life together. They traveled together. They knew each other's business. They knew where they were going and what they were up to. They stopped from their busy lives to pay attention to what other people were hearing and what was being taught. It was just everyday norm for them. As a matter of fact, they gathered not just for good stuff when people came to town or when someone was going to, to share the gospel or whatever else, but Acts 12 tells a story of Peter, um, his miraculous escape from prison. And as a part of that, it says he's he's... He's walked out of the prison by this angel. The angel disappears, and, and verse 12 says, When this had dawned on him that he was actually free, this was not a dream, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered, and they were praying. People were gathered because things were bad. Peter was in jail, and the church was being persecuted, and so what did they do? They had a somber fellowship. But it was a fellowship nonetheless. They did life together. I was reading in, um, John Ortberg wrote this, this great little book, um, All the Places to Go. It's very freeing when you have decisions to make, by the way, if you're, <laughs> if you're facing some open doors, helping you figure out which one is the right one to walk through. But as a part of this, um, this book, he writes these words. After he got up from that grave, he, Jesus, gathered 11 uneducated, unconnected, unresourced followers and said, but wait, there's more. There's more than life and there's more than death. What if I were to tell you that in addition to this matchless teaching I've been giving you, beyond the forgiveness of your sins, I'm going to throw in a new community of brothers and sisters that'll be like family to you. We get, we get very excited about the fact that we've got teaching we get really excited about the fact that we have forgiveness of sins. But those aren't the only gifts. Grace isn't the only thing we've received. Forgiveness is not the only thing we get by coming to the family of Christ, by calling us ourselves His children, by being adopted into His family. We get a whole community. And quite frankly, from beginning to end, of Scripture, we see representations of what it means to live in fellowship with this family. Now, you know, today, um, as far as what this should look like or could look like in each of our lives, number one, not everybody has um, other believers that they could do life with. Not everybody has face-to-face -face people that they can meet with and they can travel through life with and they can um, bounce ideas off of and, and pray with. Not everybody around the world has other believers like that. And if you do, we should count ourselves very, very privileged. But with the technology that we have, we have, we have these conversations that says we've got this great community, you know. Um, Facebook does that. It connects people, right? Well, I, I'm not a huge Facebook fan. You all know that. But it is the media of, uh, of the church together. But it is the one social media account that I do have. But more likely, more often than not, you know, people look on there and they compare their worst day to somebody else's highlight reel. But it doesn't change the fact that there are real relationships to be had. Just because you have, you know, 500 Facebook friends doesn't mean you actually have friends if the only things that you're showing to those friends is your highlight reel. If we're going to enjoy fellowship, it has to be honest and candid. We have to be able to say, um, 
you know, that little Jesus, he ran off again. <laughs> we have to be able to, to gather in the house of Mary, the mother of Mark, and say, oh, what are we supposed to do about this? Peter's our leader, and he's in jail, and, and I don't know what to do. We have to have people that we rejoice with at the end of our harvest seasons. We have to have people that we celebrate Passover with who can stand alongside us and say, do you remember when? Do you remember when we got deliverance? Do you remember how bad it was before we did? All of those are expressions of fellowship, good, bad, and ugly, but above all else, honest. And so if we're going to have a fellowship Obviously, you know, it is fantastic to be able to gather in each other's homes and to to walk the same roads literally together. But not everybody can, and, and it really doesn't have to be limited to that for us. I've said it so many times, but, you know, post-COVID, we all have an aptitude that we didn't realize we had. We have an ability to communicate and to conduct business and to form relationships that we never knew were available to us because they couldn't be face-to-face. Why can't we have, have fellowship, real and genuine? Why can't I see your face? For goodness sakes, Google Translate. You can talk in your language and I can talk in mine and I can ask you how your family is and how you're handling this particular dark season of your life or whatever else. We can actually do that. We can do that not only across borders and across town, we can do it across languages, This is possible. And it's also what we used to look like. And it's one of the ways that others were drawn, that outsiders were drawn to Jesus. It was the the companionship, the care, the camaraderie of his children that, that drew people into the fellowship. I love doing art projects when I travel around um, to different places. There's a ministry called Truth Be Told Art, and my, my daughter is an amazing artist. I am not. <laughs> I'm one of those paint-by-numbers sort of people, but I really love to. I, I love to create beautiful things. I just love it. I'm just not very good at it, but uh, the Truth Be Told mentality of doing art makes it possible for people like me who aren't very artistic to be able to create beautiful things. You know, you have a painting and then an instructor shows you how to replicate that painting in a way that really anybody could do. And so when I travel, I like to, I like to do that. I like to have um, a commission a painting and then wherever I'm going, gather some people around me and, and we sit together and we paint. Some of the conversations that happen around those tables, they're just amazing I sat a few years ago, I sat around a table that had a few Japanese women, American women, Korean women, and very, very mixed uh, languages. We really didn't understand each other all that well. Again, thanks to Google Translate, we were actually able to have more conversations than we ever would have before. But we sat, and and at one point, I, I got up to go and get something, and I turned and I looked into the room, and I just realized people were laughing there was, you know, once or twice you'd see somebody reach their hand across the table and just touch somebody else's arm. And these are people who didn't know each other before. But there was just um, a kindredness as we came together, just a fellowship. 
just to celebrate and, and rejoice. There was such a sweetness in that. You know, I'm of the thinking that Amazon could probably get anything about anywhere in probably 24 hours. What if through the church together we, we did painting projects? <laughs> what if the church together sent a, sent a whole big box full of supplies and everything that you needed, and then in seven different countries all on the same um, timetable, we sat and we had little cameras, little Zooms, and we actually communicated with each other. We sat around the table. I have a friend whose mother passed away a number of years ago, but before she did, the mother and daughter lived a number of states away in the U.S. And the daughter bought her mother one of those, um, those Facebook panorama things that, where it's literally like a camera that sits in front of you and it actually follows you. She bought one for her and one for her mother, and she bought a game. And she sent the Facebook thing and, and, the, um, and the game in a box to her mom. And every Sunday, they sat together across the table and they played the game together. And each one would just move the peg around the board as the other one rolled the dice. She said at first it was a little bit awkward because you knew you weren't in the same room, but over time it just started to feel like I was sitting at the same table. And we chatted about our week, and we laughed about how bad the game was or how bad I was beating her. And we just enjoyed a sweetness of fellowship from hundreds of miles away. That is open to the body of Christ to enjoy a sweetness of fellowship. It must be candid. It must be real and it must be honest. But it is absolutely available. Find fellowships with people that you can sit with across a literal table. But don't neglect the fact that in the early church, they shared tables across towns, across regions, across nations. There was a kindredness, a connectedness of the body of Christ in those early days that transcended every single obstacle that, honestly, we don't even have anymore, and yet we let limit us. They knew each other's lives. They knew each other's needs. They were excited with each other when something good was happened and they brought their concerns to one another. If you're in the Word every single day, then you're going to find some things that, that I probably haven't seen. And you know what? If I'm in fellowship with you, then there's probably going to be an opportunity for you to tell me about it. And you know what it's probably going to make me want to do? Run home and get in the Word myself. The benefits of fellowship and the history of it is enough in itself, but the benefits of it are just astounding. I'd really like to enjoy the fellowship as it was intended to be. New means and all. <laughs> Let's take some of these things that have been used for ill, Ill purposes. You know, social media is said to, um, to really, I think the stat that I read the other day was more people come away from their time with Facebook feeling more anxious or depressed than when they first sat down to look at it. It's because it's inauthentic. It's because it's surface area relationships where you 
go into it and you see this big number of how many friends you have and then yet you realize that, that none of them knows you. And you don't really want them to know you because your life looks so much uh, more real than the life that they portray for themselves. It's not candid. It's not honest. Fellowship, it can be can be beautiful, it can be honest, it can be candid, it can be joyous, and it can be shared. Find it.